Oh, hey, how are you? It's my turn to preach today, so I probably should get in the worship center. Got to grab my prop, my beautiful gray cardigan sweater. Do you happen to recognize this song? It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. A beautiful day in the neighborhood. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you be my neighbor? Well, if you recognize that song, you recognize it's from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Starting in 1968, Rogers, an ordained Presbyterian minister, used simple sets, puppets, props, songs, video, field trips, to educate kids and parents alike on a whole variety of topics. In particular, he was known for having the courage to sensitively cover difficult topics like losing a pet, accepting one another through differences, racial tension, physical challenges, divorce, war, and even death. In fact, many of the messages that Rogers expressed on his show were inspired by the core tenets of his Christian faith. Now, Rogers rarely spoke about his faith on the air. Instead, he believed that teaching through example was as powerful as preaching. He said, you don't need to speak overtly about religion in order to get your message across. And to those that knew Fred Rogers, he was known as a man who lived out what he taught. Not perfectly, but faithfully and intentionally. And as a man fully qualified to answer the question, who is my neighbor? You see, that's a question that Jesus was asked in Luke 10. So I think I'll probably take the sweater off here because we're, you know, it looks good on me, but I don't want you to be distracted by that. And let's look at Luke 10, verses 25 to 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So, 
This is a pretty familiar passage. So I want to look at it with this question in mind. What do we know for sure from this passage? Well, we know for sure it starts with a lawyer. He's referred to as an expert in the law. And this lawyer wants to put Jesus to the test. Now, it's not absolutely certain from the text that this guy's intentions are bad. But if we just go off how Luke portrays the religious leaders and their responses to Jesus, even just up to this point in Luke's gospel, we can probably assume that it's likely an attempt to try and trip Jesus up. So, he's probably thinking, let's see how you measure up, Jesus. Let's see how you measure up to some of my deep theological questions. Are you worthy of us paying attention to you? He's probably assuming that the answer is, no, you're not. He's attempting to discredit, which is something that happens numerous times in Luke. In fact, Jesus expected resistance and testing and predicted it as necessary. In Luke chapter 9, verse 22, it says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. This was all part of God's plan, and Jesus knew that. So, the test question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? That's an interesting question. Was the lawyer feeling that he was under God's just condemnation? Do you think he was looking for a way that he could escape from the wrath of God? Not likely. It's more likely that he thought he had already obtained eternal life <coughs> by keeping God's law perfectly. After all, he was an expert in the law. So what does Jesus do? I just, I love this. He answers this expert's question with another question. He turns the table on him. What's written in the law? How do you read it? You're an expert, and I know you have an opinion, so, Mr. Lawyer, why don't you share with the class? What was his answer? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Now, the implication here, that's what I kind of do. He pulls out his little notepad. Under there, it says on there, keep the law perfectly. Pretty much. Check. So what's Jesus' response? Let me check my scriptures. Ah, uh, yes. Luke 8, uh, sorry, Leviticus 18.5. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. So Jesus is saying, yes, you have answered correctly. Do this, Mr. Lawyer, and you will live. Now, if I could imagine the scene, I wonder if there was this pause. Jesus looks at the lawyer, lawyer looks back, and Jesus says, we good? Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess we're good, replies the lawyer. But I wonder if this caught the lawyer off guard. Maybe not the answer that he was expecting from Jesus in the set setting. There was something in Jesus' answer that left him, I would say, probably unsettled. It left him with a sense that maybe he needed to somehow justify himself. I suppose if perfection is the standard, you know, loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving my neighbor as myself, I better be clear on that one. Uh, hang on, Jesus. Uh, who is my neighbor? See, implied in that question and in the culture of the day, and probably in our culture today, is the idea that there are two categories of neighbor. There's the neighbor, 
And then I suppose there's the non-neighbor. It appears, it appears to us at least that our lawyer friend is seeking Jesus' endorsement of how he views those two categories, the neighbor and the non-neighbor. So depending on how Jesus answers this guy's question, his perfect record might be in jeopardy. So then Jesus goes and says, well, let me define this, what a neighbor is. And he uses a story. It's a very familiar story. The story goes like this. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers. I can just imagine what our, our lawyer's thinking. Oh, oh, that road? Of course he did. What was he thinking? That road is notorious for thieves and thugs and all kinds of bad stuff. He should have never traveled alone. That one? Sorry, that one's on him. The scriptures say that he was stripped, beaten, and left for dead. He got, he got quite a whooping. And then the story goes on. By chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, saw him, he passed by on the other side. The Greek word here implies that almost the idea of staring at him. So I guess we can't use the excuse that I didn't see him. And then it says, so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and again saw him, he passed by on the other side. Oof. You can just imagine our lawyer. That's not a great look. I mean, who better would you expect acts of mercy from than a Levite or, or a priest? Shouldn't a person in distress have at least the right to expect immediate help and comfort from them? That, I think, is a blatant breach of the law. But maybe our lawyer was thinking, to justify his fellow religious, religious leader in the story, well, wait a minute, wait, 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 just hold on. The, the, the guy might be dead. We don't know this. And if he's dead, Numbers 19.11 says, whoever touches the dead body of any person shall be unclean for seven days. Like, that's pretty significant. If I'm a priest or a Levite, I, I, I mean, I have to be careful of that. Can't have me out of business or quarantine for seven days. Or maybe he's thinking, is this safe? What if this, this person, this victim is just a decoy and I end up getting jumped? Come on. And I'm sure if we went and we kind of used our imaginations, we could come up with all kinds of different reasons. But whatever the case, it seems in Jesus' story, the religious leaders both had a bad case of what I call ingrown eyeballs. Their eyes were on themselves. They saw the need right in front of them, but all they really saw was what they wanted for themselves, what they needed, their agenda, their well-being, how stopping to help would affect them. And then the next character is introduced by Jesus. He says, but a Samaritan. The New Living, I, I think, says it really well. It, it refers to the Samaritan as a despised Samaritan. Oh boy, I think this guy falls into the non-neighbor category for sure. So, I think I'll let Bible teacher William Barclay explain how the Samaritan fit here. He said, after centuries of good biblical public relations, our understanding of a Samaritan as a positive figure is almost a cultural given. But in the original setting, to a Jewish scribe, a Samaritan would have been the exact opposite, a notorious bad guy or traitor. That is an important emotive element to remember as we proceed through Jesus' parable. The hero is a bad guy. Culturally, he is the last person we would expect to be hailed as an exemplary neighbor. I wonder if that's how Brian Mayle felt. 
See, Mayo is a retired transport police officer in the UK. And on June 13th, Mayo, who is white, was part of a large crowd of far-right protesters who gathered in London to protect British monuments and demonstrate against the Black Lives Matter movement. He says it this way, in the late afternoon, I walked across Waterloo Bridge and at Festival Hall, about 15 to 20 people jumped on me and started beating me. I'll remember it for the, my whole life. I was completely on my own and it was madness. I was going to be killed. Then enter the scene, Patrick Hutchinson. Well, who's he? Hutchinson, a 50-year-old father and grandfather of three, went to central London that day along with four of his friends, just in case. They had lived through what he describes as senseless white rage before. He knew how aggressive it could be, and we knew, according to him, we knew we had to be there to protect vulnerable Black Lives Matter protesters and to protect our black boys from harm. Hutchinson initially saw Mayo lying on some stairs in the fetal position surrounded by protesters. At that moment, he said, it didn't cross his mind the man may be a counter-protester or hold prejudices, but he was trying to get him out safely. I had no idea who this man was. All I know is that he was there, up to no good, let's just say, but his life was under threat. So I just went and I scooped him up and deposited him, him at the feet of the police. That's an unexpected action from a non-neighbor. But a Samaritan, says in the scriptures, as he journeyed, came to where he was, the victim, and when he saw him, there it is again, he saw him, how did he respond? He had compassion. Come on, Jesus, hold on. You are busting my categories. That's not fair. This is a Samaritan we're talking about. Yeah. So what the Samaritan did next was costly. He put his action behind his compassion. You see, remember our victim took a serious beating. It says in the scriptures he was left half dead. So what did, what did the Samaritan do? Well, he risked his own safety. Did he know the robbers were gone? After all, he was a Samaritan. Would he be a target? It says he bound up his wounds. Oil and wine would have been from his own personal supply. He had brought them for his own comfort, and yet he freely used them for this poor man. Interesting. And then it says he set him on his own animal, which would have meant that the Samaritan would have had to walk beside him the whole rest of the journey. And then he says he took him to an inn, and he took care of him. And then, again, going the extra mile, he paid for the ongoing care. He had to keep going, but he left two denarii, three weeks of, or so of care amount. And he said to the innkeeper, I'll give you more if it's needed when I return. Let's, I, I, I feel like there would have been a pause at that point in Jesus' story, just for effect, to let it sink in. The non-neighbor did all that. Oof. And then Jesus says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? <sighs> the one who showed mercy. You'll note there, 
and, and some people note this in the study, but the, the lawyer couldn't even say the word Samaritan. That's how much kind of friction there was between them. And then what does Jesus say? The dagger. You go and do likewise. Now, but hold on, Jesus. You, you switched the question on me. That is not the question that I asked. I asked you, who was my neighbor? Jesus responded, probably, I can imagine this. It doesn't say this. But because in your pride and your attempt to justify your categories and make excuses for yourself, Mr. Lawyer, you asked the wrong question. What's the real question? How can I be a neighbor? You see, in the kingdom of God, Jesus calls us to ditch our categories and to stop justifying our actions and instead go and show lavish, costly mercy. If we've read this story before, we kind of know that's the message. And many of us might walk away with kind of like, oh yeah, I should probably do better. I've got this guilt complex. But really, I want to ask this another question. How do I do that? How do I get to the point where that becomes more of my natural response? Because it is costly. And I'm not naturally good at that. I think of myself, I do have ingrown eyeballs. Well, I believe it's this. It starts with a humble, honest prayer. Lord, help me to see. Heal my ingrown eyeballs. Open my eyes to see. But what, what is it that I'm asking him to help me see? Well, I've just, I've kind of packaged this, it in this way. There are three honest asks of God. Lord, help me to see. The first one. Help me to see that I need mercy. You see, the biggest mistake I believe the lawyer in our story made was believing that somehow he was capable of following God's law perfectly. The lawyer came to Jesus. He came to test him. And I think he got more than he bargained for. You see, with a well-placed question or two, Jesus, he, he just turned the tables on him. And he allowed the lawyer to actually expose his own sin. The sin of pride, judgment, lack of love for those who didn't fit into his category of neighbor, to the non-neighbor category. As I was reading along further in Luke, I see another parable Jesus taught that, that I think illustrates it and drives the point home. It's found in Luke 18, starting at verse 9. It's Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and who treated others with contempt. The parable was like this. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, 
this man went down to the house, his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, I think our lawyer would have fit perfectly into this parable. What he needed was to understand his need for mercy. He needed more. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. But the beautiful thing, Jesus understood the lawyer's need for mercy, just like we can see it in the story. Just like Jesus understands our need for that same mercy. Because it's reflected in what he did on the cross. See, he was surrounded by those who tried to test him, to undermine him, to discredit him, and ultimately those who arranged to have him killed. And I wonder, possibly even the lawyer, was he there when Jesus was killed on the cross? And yet we, we see these words recorded by Luke in Luke 23. Jesus, hanging on the cross, spoke these words of mercy. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You see, Jesus' death on the cross made mercy possible. And it's when we cry, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It's then that he justifies us. We don't need to try and justify ourselves any longer. You know, sometimes uh, to help illustrate a point, I think music does it better than sometimes speaking. So at this point in the message, I want to just encourage you to just stop and take in this song that I've asked the worship team to present. Let it kind of just flow over you. Close your eyes and, and take it in. And then I'll come back at the, uh, after that's done and, and just share with you two more big asks that I believe we have of God. Good to us, you're good to us, so good to us. 
whole heart Now to love our neighbor as ourselves Now to love you with a whole heart Now to love our neighbor as ourselves Now to love you with a whole heart Now to love our neighbor as ourselves Now to love you with a whole heart it's a response. When we understand the mercy that we've been shown, then we have the foundation upon which we can then say, okay, God, I want to learn to, to love, to be a person of compassion. So our second honest big ask of God is this, Lord, help me see people with compassion. 1998, Esquire magazine assigned cynical journalist Tom Junot to interview Fred Rogers for a short piece on American Heroes. Juno said, Mr. Rogers was the first person I ever wrote about who became my friend. And that friendship continued on until his death in 2003. It's this friendship that became the subject of Tom Hanks' movie, It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Knowing Rogers like he did, Juno commented this way, there's always been a bit of a misconception about Mr. Rogers. He's not like Superman. He isn't otherworldly. He's, he's more like Batman. Batman didn't have any superpowers. He made himself into a superhero with his utility belt and all his training. Juno said this, Obviously, he has a lesson to teach about kindness, but I think that he also has a lesson to teach about the attainment of kindness, that kindness is a practice. He practiced kindness like he practiced a musical instrument. I think he did his scales every day. You see, when God's mercy is our foundation, then we can ask him, to change us little by little and guided by this Holy Spirit, he will give us opportunities to practice compassion. It's like scales. Those scales will not always be pretty and we won't always get it right. And when we do, we'll wish for some do-overs and we'll have to go make up some messes, clean up some messes. But like scales, the more we practice, the more compassion we can, pardon me, the more compassion can become our response. It's like spiritual muscle memory. So then our final big ask of God. 
God, help me see the part you want me to play and play it intentionally. You see, we won't all have massive television audiences to influence and we probably won't go running into a crowd to pull a man out to protect him from getting his head bashed in. But really, God doesn't always call us to big, dramatic acts of mercy. Rather, he calls us to one thing, to proximity. Who's next to me? There's two sides to that. There are those who God will bring across your path on any given day, just everyday traffic. The Pharisee, the Levite, and the Samaritan, they all happened upon our victim just as they traveled along. And sometimes well, God will call us to respond spontaneously in a situation like that, in mercy, with whatever it is we have at the time. But a little caveat along the way here. Some of us will have to be careful. God doesn't call us to meet every need. There will always be more needs than you or I can get our arms around. The Samaritan, he served as he discovered the need, but eventually to leave our victim, he had to be able to leave him in the hands of capable people at the end. He didn't take it all the way to the end. So as God gives us opportunity to show mercy, we need each other to share the load and also to discern to what degree God is calling us to engage in this act of mercy. But then there are also those that God has placed in our immediate neighborhoods. You know who they are. Those who are a regular proximity to us. What can you intentionally do to neighbor them? Now, that's a whole nother sermon series, which we don't have time for. But let, let me recommend a really good book as a first good step. The book is simply called, called The Art of Neighboring. And I want to encourage you, get that book, read it. It's by a guy named Dave Runyon and his friend Jay Pathak. So I want to finish with this. It's a prayer and it simply goes like this. Lord, give me a posture of humility that positions me to learn compassion so that I can practice humility and mercy. So we could also say it this way. Let me get my sweater back on in honor of Mr. Rogers. Let me do it for you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, Lord, would you mind? Yes, Lord, would you mind? Please help me see my neighbor. Yes, Lord, please help me be a neighbor. you with a whole heart now to love our neighbor as ourselves now to love you with a whole heart now to love our neighbor as ourselves now to love you with a whole heart now to love our neighbor as ourselves now to love you with a whole heart now to love our neighbor as ourselves Forgiveness, oh